I'm 21 years old, right? And daughter, Abby, she is 18. She'll be 19 at the end of the month. And then uh, the Lord saw fit to grow us, mature us, challenge us. And a few years later, gave us two more beautiful kids, Gabriel, um, who was there, and then Angel. Now, how their whole name situation worked out was we had Gabriel, right? And, um, you know, we thought we were done. You know, that's three children. Jesus is coming. Okay, right? And five months after I had him, I felt like I had the flu. And I was like, I'm sick. You know, the COVID was then, you know, it was like back then. And I didn't feel well. And then I took a pregnancy test and my mom was like, oh, you, you know, you're pregnant. I'm like, no, it's impossible. How can that happen? You know, my nurse, they said that doesn't happen. You know, don't believe them. And um, and then our little sweet angel. And we, how do we choose our name? Because we were stuck. Like we went through the whole Bible and chose names, right? You know, you can start running out of names, you know, ran out. Gabriel and how we came up with her name is we were reading. Um, we were reading Family Worship. Yeah. And I think one of us read uh, about one of the characters, mm-hmm. and their name was Angel. Mm-hmm. And everybody just stopped and looked at each other. See, that's it. Right? That's it. Because they all have like that L, Israel, Abigail, Gabriel, Angel, right? And uh, But I told the Lord, that that's it. That's it, Jesus. My character is, is set. <laughs> no more, right? So that's how these four ended up in our lives. And they have matured us and grown us in ways we never thought, right? And God is good. Um, yeah. Yeah, so we are we are privileged to be able to come and spend some time with you guys and uh, and just talk. So um, I like to sit down and talk. And I'm hyper. So you, you know that that's biblical, right? It says that. And Jesus sat down oh. and he talked with people. So yeah, so I like to okay. I like to sit down okay. as well. But what we want to talk to you all about, um, my wife, my wife and I were both originally from Cleveland, Ohio. Met when we were in high school. We we met in chemistry class. Did y'all get that? Somebody got to go. That's that's the real. That's the real deal. You can't even make that up. We we legitimate met in chemistry class, and um. But we didn't we didn't get together then. Uh, her cousin was one of our best friends, and we were we were friends in high school. Graduated from high school, I had a conversion experience. Went away to and, and had that conversion experience. Upon coming back, because my mindset was different, I just wanted to kind of reach out to everyone who um, who I knew and tell them about Jesus. And one of those people happened to be my wife. So, um, we'll go ahead. We'll say something. Well, I guess to kind of give you a little bit of, a, a little bit more background into that the aspect of our life. Um, I was not raised in a, how can I put this? Um, I was raised in an environment where people talked about God, surely. Um, we went to church on holidays. Um, I had a praying grandmother and I had that type of environment, but I was not raised in a home where God was the center of anything. Um, and so had a upbringing that was full of probably a lot of turmoil, some abuse, um, an alcoholic father, you know, uh, my parents divorced when I was nine. Um, and so there was a lot to my story, right. As a person and 
trying to work through and figure out who I was in spite of all of those things. And um, also making certain decisions wasn't the best. I was a promiscuous teenager, you know. And um, and so we went to a public high school together. So I don't know if any, any of you have ever went to a public high school, but it's real, right? And uh, it is nothing to shake a stick at, you know. Um, it was an inner city school also. And so there were some dynamics there just trying to survive, right? Um, the pressures of belonging and trying to fit in and, you know, figure out who you are. And so... Um, Why would anybody have pressure about trying to fit in? That's a good question. What do I mean, you guys why, think? Why should anybody have pressure about trying to fit in? Like, don't we just feel like we fit in? No. No? For real? Where'd that come from? Mm. So I'll tell you where mine came from. I was six years old. I was oh, walking really? down the street with uh, my brother and my older cousin. And there was this little girl on the street that I liked. I liked her in the way that a six-year-old little boy makes a six-year-old little girl. She was cute. She had little, you know, stuff in her hair. And she used to wear nice little dresses. And I just thought that was, at six years old, that was that was so nice. So my older cousin, he says to the little girl, hey, my cousin Steven, he likes you. And the little girl, I'll never forget, she was she was leaning out of the window in her house. She was looking at my cousin. She was just waving at everybody that walked by. And then she looked in my direction and she was like, yeah. at six years old, I was like devastated. So I remember I turned around and I ran over. I said, what you, you laughing at me? Yes, you are. I'm not. You're not laughing with me. Nobody. No. She, you, you couldn't, you couldn't have done worse than my, my older brother and my cousin. That's right. Because they were killed over laughing at me. So I turned around and I ran back to my aunt's house. But I'll tell you what happened. The power of words is something that's real. Yeah. What she said to me. It changed the way I saw myself. Mm. I believed other people saw me. It changed ultimately the way that I believe God saw me. At six years old. At six years old. Mm. The rest of, well, not the rest of my life, but from that forward in my experience. So she talked about fitting in, right? And I asked the question, where does that come from? The reality is, is that you know, the experiences in our lives are telling us that either we are valued, we are loved, and we are accepted, or we are not valued, we are not loved, we are not lovable, and we will not be accepted. And so what you do with that becomes kind of the tension that exists in your life, in your relationships. You're trying to prove, hey, I am lovable. Or you're trying to prove, hey, I'm not stupid. Hey, I am intelligent, whatever the case may be. And funny enough, um, picture, and maybe you've been there, picture a whole school being the experimentation for a bunch of broken young people. For myself, I did not have a father telling me that I was valued, that I was valued, and that I was loved. 
So I was looking for it from somewhere. I was looking for it from someone. I didn't even know it. I didn't know the power that not having that influence in my life had on me so much so that I looked for it and I chased after it. And so again, that high school was a hotbed um, for young people who did not have an identity, who did not have self-worth or value, who did not understand. I'm really glad that we did not have um, that experience. Um, and when I reflect back on that, and I tell my kids um, that I could tell even in that environment that he came from a Christian home, even though he was a rascal, right? Yeah, yeah. You can come from a Christian home. That yes. will make you a Christian, though. Amen. Amen. Two of y'all understood that. But y'all, y'all you, you can be raised, you can be raised in an environment and in a context. Yes. That's taking you in one direction, and yet choices are taking you in in, in a completely different direction. And, you know, it's funny, we raised our kids. I remember it was a, a moment where they were so shocked. It was before the two little ones came along. We were having family worship one day. And my husband came out and told my two older children at the time, they were younger, that you're not Christians. They were so offended. They were just like, what are you talking about? Like, we, we are Christians. And he was like, no. No, no, it was, you know. You know how when you're a child, you don't want to be disrespectful, but you're like, how you just going to lie to me like that and say something like, they were looking at me like, for real, what's, what, what's the game here? I'm like, no, you're not. You you are born uh, to Christian parents and you live in a home where we're trying to raise you in a certain way, but it doesn't make you. Yeah. That's a personal, personal choice, a personal decision that must be yours. You become a Christian when you choose for yourself. But I want to jump back to what we were talking about in terms of you said we didn't we didn't connect. And um you talked a little bit about our we were talking a little bit about our high school experience. And I was I was trying to share about what was going on in my mindset. Um strangely enough, I I visited some colleges and universities and guess what? I found out that the same stuff that was happening in high school was happening on university campuses and it was the same stuff same type of broken people same people that are looking for acceptance university looking campus. to be loved yeah yeah yeah, yeah, what yeah. University? university campuses what university yeah some uh secular some Adventist. <laughs> yeah really for real for real for real mm. so so you know the crazy thing is by the way, um, tonight what we're talking about is his and hers. Yeah. His and hers. So the theme for the weekend is this is life, right? And there's an acronym for the word life. It is living intentionally for eternity. Because there is a difference, right? There's a difference. And throughout this weekend, we are not doing the same thing at any of the places that we're going. So tonight is something. Tomorrow is going to be something else. The next presentation is going to be something else, and the next presentation will be different. So we are not doing the same things anywhere we're going. So, so tonight, his and hers, because yeah. if you're a young man, if you're a young woman, all of us actually bring a set of baggage into our relationship. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I used to I used to tell people, well, actually, this was, a tr this was true. Mm -hmm. This was true. Before I got married, I could fit all of my earthly belongings and my 1987 Honda Accord. So what? You know, I could move about the country just, I mean, bang, 
in the trunk and in the back seat. There you go. Got married and just all this stuff. You know, just we don't even know how much stuff we have. We need. And so when it comes to when it comes to my wife and I, when we talk about baggage, I'm like, she got more than me. Yeah. Much more baggage than me. I don't know if you like when we when we're traveling or something like that. I always travel light. You do. I, no matter where I've been uh, traveling around the world, I take one bag. Yeah. When my wife comes with me, it's another story. It's because there might be a change of weather, different shoes for different occasions or different days. The shirt may look nice in one particular weather pattern, and if it rains and it won't look, you don't understand. You That's don't the worst. She's got a lot of baggage. Whatever. So. The tendency is that we discover in conversations with um, young people, especially, is, you know, sometimes there's a tendency to want to look into the other person's baggage. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, okay. So when we when we uh, talk to young men and young women, it's like, well. You know, the person that I'm going to marry, they got to be well-educated. They got to have a nice job. By the way, they got to have more education than I do. They got to make more money than I do. Hold on. We're going to call. Oh, I just, something for you. We got something for you. We got something for you. We're not going to go there right now. But, but yeah, yeah, and they got to have all this stuff together and blah, 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 this, this, that, and the other. Very rarely, it has happened, very rarely do we have young men and young women or single men or single uh, women who are like, man, i got to make sure my stuff is together. I need to make sure that I am a healthy person to be in relationship. Ooh-wee, that's a heavy word, healthy. Because we're so busy thinking about the other person's stuff. That we don't have time to heal from our own stuff. So here I am, but my wife mentioned that like we we didn't we didn't hook up. And it's a good thing we didn't hook up because when I was in high school, all I was thinking about is how can I prove that I'm valued, that I'm loved, and that I'm acceptable. And unfortunately, the path that I chose was relationships with young ladies. Mm. as a means, listen to me, as a means of validating myself. Are y'all listening to me? So in other words, you know, let's pick out who is the most attractive, the most intelligent, the most whatever. Let me let me pick them out and let me put a target right on them and let me pursue them. And if I can win them, then it validates me. Here's the problem. That is an insatiable pursuit. You understand what I'm saying? What happens is you get the relationship and then you realize it's not enough. And then you get the next relationship and it's not enough. When you get the next relationship and the next and every every one of these imaginary lines that we've drawn for ourselves, if I could just have this person who was financially successful, this person 
who was, you know, physically attractive, this person who is, you know, intellectually gifted, if I could da 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 this, that, and the other, whatever, no matter how high I'm making the bar, every time I reach that, I reach it only to discover it doesn't satisfy me. Can people do that spiritually? What you talking about? So, just because I think we can be honest here tonight, right? Y'all okay with that? Just want to make sure I want to be put out, you know, across the period. But there are times when we can have the ideal yeah. of the spiritually superior, right? If they're just, if they, he has to be, he, he has to be the epitome of spirituality. She has to be the epitome of spirituality. Only to discover um, that that person has baggage. Mm. Is that possible? Yeah, it is. But let me let me touch on that because I like what you said. Because mm -hmm. you know, I was talking to somebody last week, yeah, and they were talking about how no good and unspiritual the men were yeah. in their life. Yeah, just none. Anybody ever said that? Don't raise your hand. Don't say it. But they were just like, you know, oh, where are the? Them and we could just be real with them. And I'm like, you keep talking about how unspiritual these guys are. But how come you keep ending up in the apartment? Oh. oh. I'm like, how come? How come? How come if they're so unspiritual? How come you keep finding out because you're in their apartment doing some unspiritual stuff? How does that? How does that? And yet you're going around and complaining about there's not enough spirit. No, no, no. When are you going to be the spiritual person? See, that's what I was talking about in terms of that baggage. Okay, you mean, but anyway, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, just drop that one like that. Though. Yeah. No, but it's it's real. So back back to what I was saying. It's good that we weren't connected because I was in an in an endless pursuit. Yeah. And if her and I had hooked up, yeah. she would have been another target. Yeah. That I would have been dissatisfied with because she doesn't meet my expectations. And I had a big cool eye on me for sure. Um, I'll tell you that as a young woman um, and a, a young man as well. This is not isolated to young women. This is people, period. Um, unhealed, broken people. We wear huge targets on us. We attract people who want to take advantage. Um, we don't generally have boundaries. We don't know how to have safe relationship, right? We walk into things that are glaring right before us. And though we get the feeling and the spirit of God tells us, don't go there. Don't speak to that person. You know how you, you anybody. I'm not the only person where the spirit of God literally is telling you like they're not safe. They're not whole. They're not healthy. They're just out to, and you kind of just keep going anyway because you're so hurt and so broken anyway that you just walk right into that. And so that's where I was at that stage of my life, even though I desired more. Oh, listen, I wanted better. I didn't want to replicate the same things that I saw growing up. I didn't desire it. I even prayed even before I had a relationship with God. I don't know if you know what that's like, but I prayed. Even before I had a relationship with God, I was praying and talking to God about desiring more for my life, but wanting it and knowing how to get it, how to have it and how to be it was two totally different things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what I appreciate 
you know, Tamara had baggage. I had baggage. Mm -hmm. um, here's the thing, from a Christian perspective, a lot of times we're like, everybody has heard that, that passage, uh, you know, as far as the East is from the West, so has the Lord separated us from our iniquities. He's cast our sins, where? Into the depths. Into the depths of the sea. And when it comes to our baggage, that's kind of like, that's the picture we have in our mindset. I don't need to mess with my baggage. The Lord threw that into the depths of the sea. Well, let me tell you something. The Lord ain't throwing nothing into the depths of the sea. Listen, listen. And this is the new picture I want you to get. He's not going to throw anything into the depths of the sea until you guys go back to your room and you open that luggage up. Yes. And he begins to say, now let's talk about this. Yeah. Let's talk about this. And he begins to go through that with us piece by piece. Why is that so important? It's so important because God doesn't want to just dismiss our past. He wants us to be able to heal from our past. Yeah. And if he just throws it away without us processing through it, then we will carry that brokenness into all our relationships. Child, what it actually happened is, you know, you, th you thought you threw something away. You ever thought you just threw it away? You just saw yourself throw it and it's gone. And then you wake up the next day, it's like a bad Amazon package. And then you, you open the front door and you're just like, oh, sit here. And, I and it keeps ending right back on the front step. <laughs> it's just like, this is... I don't know if you've ever been there, but you just get sick of it. You're like, Lord, I know I threw that away. I know you said to give it. I gave it to you. And the Lord, because he doesn't do things halfway, God is not into covering over. And when I say sin, I want you to broaden your idea of sin. Because generally when we think about sin, we just think about the most, you know what I'm saying, lying, cheating, stealing, killing, right? All that stuff like that. But sin also is the brokenness that God never intended for us to experience, right? He never intended for us to grow up in broken homes and to see people going through abusive things or neglect or being abandoned and any of these things. That is a part of the sin problem as well. And it's not my choice. I don't know how many of you chose a broken home. I didn't. I didn't choose an alcoholic father, right? I didn't choose any of sexual abuse, any of choice. And so how is it then that we are, we feel that we're left with this horrible Amazon package that continues to keep ending right back up at our front door. It is because that we serve a God who is thorough. Mm. We serve a God who is not into doing shabby jobs, right? And using spiritual things as an excuse for us not to deal with our stuff. And not just spiritual things, but success. Mm -hmm. we, tell, we told the story. My wife and I, we we were um, counseling a couple. They were uh, getting ready to get married and they were like, you know, what is it? You know, we want you guys to do the wedding, whatever. And we're like, okay, that's great, but we got to do pre-marriage work first. And I remember we're sitting at the, um, we're sitting on the, uh, on the couch talking with this couple and uh, the young lady graduate, graduated from a prestigious university. Very successful. Has a good job, top of her field. Her and this young man, they had a child together, but now they want to get married and so forth and so on. And we're trying to work through, you know, like some of the stuff. And, um, you know, we, we got to talking about 
as we always do, we talk about the families that we come from, all right? Because some of us, well, some people want to get married so they can get away from the families that they were born into. But not nobody right? here, though. Right, right, right. And other people, other people want to get married so they can introduce people to the wonderful family mm -hmm. that they were a part of and that they were raised in, right? So in this case, you know, we are talking about, hey, what is your family history like? Because the reality is, no matter what our intentions are, that we bring our family of origin into our marriage relationship. Look, even if you promise yourself you won't. Anybody ever been there? You, you ever, Never. I don't know about y'all, but like I used to, I used to get, I we used to call them whoopings in Ohio. I used to get whoopings and I get a whooping and I say, man, I'm never gonna whoop my kids. You know, I, you just make promises like that to yourself, right? You know, if we're gonna do this, I'm never gonna do that. Right? And then you you find yourself doing the very same thing that you said you never would do. Mm -hmm. So if you seen if you seen your parents arguing and fighting, yeah. and you said to yourself, "I'm never going to do that," mm -hmm. you heard someone being verbally abused in your home, and you said, "I'm never going to do that." The, the 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 challenge is now. You may say, "Well, see, I've never done it." The challenge is if what's motivating you is the thing that you don't want to do then it still is actually controlling you. Catch that. Catch it. Did you get that? No. Say it again. Yeah, yeah. So if 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 me telling myself I'm never going to be the type of husband that my father was, if that's if that's what's motivating me to be the quote unquote best husband, then guess who my model is for whether or not I'm a good husband? It's my father. So that influence. So how high am I gonna? How high am I gonna get above him if he's ultimately my model, right? I'm dragging him along with me while trying to get away from it. You see what I'm saying? So um, this is the this is the benefit of of healing. So anyway, we're we're having a conversation with a lady, and I I asked the young lady, you know, about her father. She oh I didn't know my father. I just met him, you know, a couple of years ago. Really? Oh okay, yeah. Yeah, but I didn't I didn't need him. You know, he wasn't. Oh, OK, you didn't need him. So at this point, see, I love watching folks, because at this point, her fiance is like, he throw one of those looks. He throws a look, but he don't say anything because she got that brother trained well enough not to open his mouth and say anything. But he just looked like and he just kept going like, OK. And so I peeped that. And I'm like, oh, okay. So you didn't you didn't need him. And she's like, no, nah. you know, I thought she runs down her list of accomplishments. And I remember I said, said to her, I said, okay. And, and she said, not only that, but she said he lived right around the corner from her. All while she was growing up. Yeah. So I said, I said, look, I said, so when you were promoted from kindergarten and you remember that your father wasn't there. When he only lived around the corner, that didn't bother you. And when you were promoted, you know, from eighth grade and your father wasn't there, realizing that he only lived around the corner, that didn't bother you either. And when you graduated from high school and I went on and I talked about, I said, when you when you graduated from university, when you had your daughter and your father was just around the corner and that didn't bother you. So after, you know, after kind of. After sharing that with her, you know, the snot was coming, 
and the tears and her, her her fiance was you know consoling her because it had finally come out for the first time and it was bothersome yeah but she had been she had been doing what most of us do we suppress what we don't understand and what we don't want to overwhelm us we press it down we press it down and she had been doing that all of her life now here she is in her 30s and for the first time it explodes and she's weeping on our couch her fiance is consoling her but her healing has begun because she has acknowledged mm-hmm. and what do we always say what do we always say we always you don't know what we always say. <laughs> well, we say a lot Oh, I know what you're talking about. I got it. I know stuff. Clean it up. Clean it up. You cannot heal what you cannot acknowledge. There you go. You You cannot heal from what you refuse to acknowledge. She sat there on the couch that evening and chose in truth to acknowledge how profound a loss not having her father engaged in her life was for her. Her healing began that night. Go ahead. And not only did her healing begin, but her fiance knew that it impacted their relationship. Mm. Pay attention. You know, you can be in relationship with someone and we're not always the best judge of ourselves. Would you agree? Yes. The people that we're in relationship with. And listen, we're not just talking about marriage tonight. This is actually community. Y'all, church members, family members, co-workers, friends, free store clerk. These principles are far larger than just marriage. There are people who God put us in community with who see us mm. and they hear our brokenness. The way that we speak and the way that we talk, the way that we respond when we're at church board meeting. Okay, I'm not clear. But um, do you understand what I'm saying? Or when you're at your when you're when you're at your job, you ever, you know, you just when you ever work with someone and it's just like, man, this person, like. We, we we just can't seem to connect and get along. And there's it's like every time I say something, that person seems to be offended or angry or frustrated. Like, what is it that's happening? And what we don't understand is the very things that we are trying to suppress and cope with, right, in life. And we promised that it would never impact us. I'm not broken. I'm not hurt. I'm not bothered that I never knew my father. I'm not bothered that this happened in my life. But the people around us, her fiance knew that it impacted their relationship. But sometimes we create these boundaries around ourselves that prevent the people who are we are in community with from being able to tell us the truth. Mm. You ever did that? Like you actually don't allow people to tell you how you show up in their life. And if you dare say anything, it's going to cause a rift between us. Some marriages have been working like that for many, 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 many years where we call them no-fly zones, right? We we can be together and we can be in a relationship, but you better not talk about this. You better not bring this up. Some parent-child relationships are like that, right? Where you're allowed to say certain things, but don't you dare tell your mom or dad how they show up in your life, right? There's some cultural dynamics that are like that. You know, I don't know about you guys, but in our culture, okay, African-American culture, don't you ever <laughs> tell a parent that they hurt you in any way. Everything they say is right. However they say it is right, you just need to be thankful you were fed. You need to be thankful that they showed up. And don't you ever tell anybody what goes on in this house, right? That was a cultural dynamic that we were raised in. However, though, what it did is just breeded resentment and bitterness and anger 
And so this is how detrimental it is to actually be honest about the true identity of the baggage that we are carrying in our lives. Yeah, you know, I, I want to say this. <clears throat> We're talking about his and hers baggage and stuff that we bring in. And you may be wondering, like, man, oh, man, do I have any baggage? Let me just say this. Um, baggage comes in all shapes and sizes. Yeah. And cute carry-on luggage, too. There are there are generally things that we don't like to acknowledge have had an impact on our lives. There are plenty of people that we speak to who their parents were divorced when they were younger. And they're, you know, but when they when they talk about it, it's like, oh, but it, you know, whatever. And that's a that is a life altering, dramatic experience. Like on a scale of one to ten, it's a ten. That's a ten. And so when somebody says, well, yeah, my parents divorced when I was X um, years old, but it didn't really it didn't really affect me. Hmm. It didn't. Mm-hmm. That, that didn't. That didn't. That didn't affect you. That didn't bother you at all. And what what that what that person is saying to me is that I'm not aware of the way that it's affected me. But I promise you, it surfaces and it shows itself in in relationships. And uh, so that, but that's just one of many things. Um, sometimes my wife talked about being a victim of abuse. There, there are some times that we are not the victim, but we observe someone else being victimized. And that is a traumatic experience to go through. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine seeing your mother being assaulted yeah. and you're a little boy, perhaps, and you feel a sense of powerlessness because you can't do anything about it. That's going to affect you. Mm-hmm. It's going to affect the way that you carry on. It's going to affect the way that you relate to other people in your life. And so um, I, I want to say this because I don't know we can't keep you here all night. Well, we could keep you all night. Yeah, we'll we'll not do that. But um, there's there's because there are some there are some people who think you know what? Well, that's it. That's in my that's in my past, mm-hmm. and that's under the blood. I've given that to Jesus. And that's that's all over and done with. My wife and I are working with a couple right now that said that to one another over 20 years ago. Now, now you know, when I when I tell you my wife and I are working with a couple, I'll let you know right there. Whatever y'all was trying to do 20 years ago, it didn't work. So my wife and I are talking with them, and guess what keeps coming up? Never knew that. I never knew that. Now that makes sense. Now I can say, oh. Because their pledge, their pledge was they were going to leave the past in the past when they got together. So there was no point of us even talking about our past because we're, we love, you love Jesus? I love Jesus. Okay, you keep the Sabbath? I keep the Sabbath. All right. Uh, let's get married. Okay. Now you get the people to roll like that. There are people who base their existence of whether or not they should be in a relationship together based off the 27 fundamental beliefs. Okay? I'm, I'm, I'm not saying. I'm not saying. 28 
28. No, but, but, you know, I'm not, no smoke at the 28 fundamental base. But, 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 it's good. But, you know, give me the 28 fundamentals and some healing. Okay. Give me the 28 fundamentals and some, uh, uh, some emotional maturity and an emotional vocabulary. It's the truth, though. How many of us know people who based it on just those things and they're not together today? Yeah, me. People who met at GYC. Praise God, that GYC. Or church. church. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like, man, we're at these functions. Let's be together, right? The devil's a liar. Saints, okay? We, we have to do better, right? Yeah. And what Satan is banking on, he's banking on that we're that superficial. Yeah. But listen to me. I can't tell you how many lovely, beautiful couples we've known throughout the years. When we first got married, it was like a epidemic. It was, it was scary. And we would have been there. So we're going we're gonna to transition into the truth about where we are now, right? So we gave our hearts to the Lord. We love the Lord, and we probably had some of those similar things. You love, 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 love. You like, you, you like, you know, fried chicken. I like fried chicken. Like whatever, right? And the Lord was moving. He did. We believe the Lord brought us together, but it was not a substitute for doing the work. And I remember our first year. Wait, 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 wait. When she says doing the work, mm -hmm. it's you know that is uh, that's 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 another way of saying. Getting to know who you are mm. and allowing God to heal you yes. in the places where you need to be healed. Yeah. So our first year of marriage was a very interesting first year of marriage. And I said some stupid shit. I mean, oh, I mean, I look, look, I, the stuff I said was so stupid that when she told me I said that, I said, no, I didn't. I said, no, I didn't know you lying. I did not say that. She's like, yes, you did. I'm like, you know. Oh, my goodness. Wasn't the most healed person either. You know what I'm saying? My expectations, I put him on a pedestal, right? Put him on this, pe you know. Can I say this? I can't say this. I'm safe here. Where's the bridge? Um, we were both at that time in our lives uh, um, in a very, um, man, how would you call it? The circle of the circle um, cycle, a dysfunctional cycle. No, well, of course that. But I'm talking about groups of people, right? Um, we were at a place in our lives where we we thought that it was really great to kind of isolate. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to say this in a way that is very, you know, understanding. Well, we were we were in a Christian bubble. You know, we ran to the hills from which cometh our help. Our help coming from the Lord. And you know, we wanted to get away from everything and everybody because that's what the Lord said do. And we found ourselves very isolated, right? And in, I'm gonna tell you something that's really dangerous. And this is probably coming from my social work area, okay? Um, isolation is 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 to a degree a wonderful thing sometimes, right? But it's also in those same areas that there can be a lot of dysfunctional things, right? When you have group think, when everybody think the same way. And don't get me wrong, I don't want to be around no janky people either, right? I'm looking for Jesus to come, okay? However, though. Um, when you also are in a group of people who also are not about doing the work, and I'm talking about digging deep and, and doing what needs to be done to heal, right, that we, we found ourselves in that type of environment as well. And so um, I think that that probably also prolonged our journey of healing as a couple. But I praise God that it was in that area 
where we were away from our family members, um, away from his family and away from my family. Um, because sometimes you can't heal. Can I just be honest about that? Yes. Sometimes you can't heal around, you know, that's why God said leave and cleave. You know what I'm saying? Now, don't take, if you take, you know, we'll talk more about this weekend. But, um, you know, sometimes there are, are people who are too much in your stuff, you know. And so we needed to be able to um, have a place where we could go and not run to our families. Okay. Where we couldn't run to mama and daddy to fix everything for us. We had to go to God and we had to talk to people who were godly people who were mentors and things like that, right? So I praise God for that. We did, we actually got pre-marriage counseling before we got married. And I don't know if you're out there listening, um, but please make that a priority. And even if you didn't do it before, you can, it's not still not too late to do it now, okay? Um, pre-marriage counseling or pre-marriage coaching is about you getting tools to prepare yourself for the inevitable because relationship is hard. I don't care how much you love Jesus. It's hard. Okay? It's hard. Okay? Um, and so we got that prior, and I thank God for the the older couple that mentored us and had some real conversations with us about his personality and my personality because those were things we hadn't thought about necessarily, right? That he is a morning he's a morning person me not so much just not i wasn't born in the morning like it's just not even a part of my dna you know um and and you know it's these things that are a part of our personality you know um but that first year of our marriage we had a lot of challenges one month after us getting married i got pregnant with our son we said we were waiting two years but, you know, Jesus said no. And um, and that escalated our process. Hear me. Bring a, another human being into the equation yeah. escalates the process of getting to know each other. OK. Um, and it was also during that time that we had blessing given to us in the form of those tapes. Yeah, we we oh, I think there's two two things that I can say that profoundly helped us to be able to, to heal. Um, and, and one of them, I believe it, it was actually knowing that. Y'all let us know how much time we got left, okay? Knowing that. Um, oh, okay. Knowing that. I don't want to. Okay, I don't want to, I don't know. <laughs> knowing that, um, knowing that someone loves you and accepts you regardless of whatever they know about you. That was, that provided, I believe, the groundwork. Because it's one thing to say, well, I know God loves me. It's another thing to be able to have a tangible person that God is working through who can reciprocate or share with you what that divine love looks like. And uh, the other thing was um, the vulnerability as a result of having that love, being able to be vulnerable. And uh, what do I mean when I say being able to be vulnerable? We started listening to a series from a couple and they were, you know, helping us to, they were helping other couples and individuals to look over their lives and whatnot. And as we listened, we learned about teachable moments. And, you know, we were listening to a, a cassette tape. Stop the tape and I'd be like, man, that's crazy. Do I ever do that? 
and she would she would get that look and i'd be yeah. like what yeah. for real like do i do that <laughs> and she would say yes mm -hmm. you do it was a teachable moment because if she had said that outside of that context then would have been fighting words yeah right but because we were in the context this is a, a powerful principle i actually believe it's a biblical principle we we see things and other people more clearly than we could ever see them in ourselves, right? That's one of the benefits of reading the Bible. You want to know something about yourself? Look at some foolishness in somebody else. And you'll read that, you're like, Saul, you're so stupid in the spirit of God. It's like, really? And you're like, oh, right? So because we see things more clearly in others than we do in ourselves, it provides a, a, a safe space. Mm -hmm. for us to reflect on whether or not some of those same deplorable behaviors yeah. are actually being manifested in us. And so this created a safe space where instead of me trying to protect myself from ever being critiqued or anything like that, now I'm asking, now I first I'm identifying behaviors that are self-destructive and that are dangerous for me having healthy relationships with others. And once I've identified those things, then I'm saying, hey, do I do that? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, what? Oh, my goodness. You mean you've been living with me all this time? Right. Because, I, because I've already seen how ugly it looks in someone else's life. Now I'm like, man, I'm doing that same thing. And she actually sees that. And then I'm like, man, who else sees? Mm -hmm. Oh Lord, right? And that's where that's where transformation and healing can come. Now, let me let me make this plain. When we talk about healing and transformation, I'm not just talking about you and I having something else to pray and ask God to forgive us for. Yeah. That's not what I'm talking about. Because I'm sure if you like me, you already got a list. <laughs> You're like, Lord, please, right? But here's the thing, with healing and transformation, we're not just asking God to change our behaviors. We're asking God, what's at the root of my behaviors? What is it? Why do I keep going? Why is this my go-to? Why is it every time I feel X, I do this? Why is it every time that this button gets pushed, this is my response? Why do I keep finding myself Asking you to forgive me for the same stuff, you know, this this that keeps floating back up in my life, Lord. And, and so most of us do is we will we'll pray about a change of behavior and we never get to the point of allowing God to show us what's at the root of our behaviors and saying, Lord, deliver me from that. Like the Bible says, the ax is laid to the root. And I'm like, Lord, I'm tired of dealing with fruit. I want to deal with the root. Lord, help me to get to the root, because if my transformation takes place at the root level, then the fruit is gone, too. See what I'm saying? As opposed to trimming up the bushes and making it look nice for everybody else, but the roots are still there. And in the right context, boom, there I go again. There I go again. Environments are so powerful for this. And I envy your generation. When I say your generation, because I feel like I'm still young, too. But... um. I envy your generation because I we've witnessed it over the last several years that 
um, you are willing to do something different in order to actually have that experience. Um, your your transparency, your willingness to be open and honest, um, and to talk about difficult subjects. Because I think most of us could agree, maybe if we look back at our parents and great-grandparents, they grew up in eras where that wasn't the case, right? It wasn't communally allowed, and it also wasn't culturally allowed. And so now you're desperately looking for more than just a, you know, the old saying is people look at the church now and they're like, oh, the young people are gone. And and I try to challenge that. It's not that the young people are gone. The young people are searching for something, right? I don't think that you all are gone. I think you're still here. But what 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 seemed to have worked in the past doesn't you saw it didn't work because you went home and saw your parents. And, and, you know, and people doing things and saying things and you're thinking to yourself, like, really? Right. Isn't there something more? And make no mistake about it. They did. The, they did what they knew to do. Right. But now to every generation there's a greater responsibility. OK. And so I feel like now you guys are at a space in your existence where you are willing to take out the proverbial acts and go directly to what the the issues are, right? And have those discussions. And it is these types of environments that breed people to heal, okay? Um, there are people probably in your midst who have experiences and they've never told anybody before because they fear judgment or they fear people are going to label them or different things, right? Um, and, you know, as a person who was loving God and serving God to the best of my ability, I was in so much pain at the same time. You know, the two things can exist at once. You can love God with all your heart and still have so much baggage. And you're desperately crying out and saying, God, I, I, I go home and I'm dealing with these thoughts and these feelings and this stuff. And I want freedom, but nobody's talking about it. And people say, well, yeah, we're talking about it. We, we talk every Sabbath. We're talking about Jesus. Yeah. But but I, I, nobody's talking directly to the fact that I have some wounds that are not talked about you know, in my environment and I want to heal. And so I think to the power of what we were given at that stage in our lives, because when I tell you that marriages around us, yeah, I got, we got married. I was 22. You were 23, 23 years old. We were fairly young. And we saw people's marriages in the church falling apart. I'm talking about dropping like flies. And we were so scared and we were so terrified that we literally were like, God, give us something. How do we stop this from happening? And that's where we began on this journey of the Lord taking us to really dig up these 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 things that were buried in our lives and these these character flaws and these abuses and things of that nature that neither one of us had addressed. And we began to talk about um, one of the things that was revealed through that as well is we had these cultural dynamics. And when I say culture, we have to learn to think beyond skin color. And I'm, I'm being really serious about that because really what culture is, is the home you were raised in. It has nothing to do with your skin color. It, we both share a similar culture, but we came from two different cultures. The home he grew up in was completely different than the home I grew up in. And that's what that's the stuff we brought to the table. So while we had Jesus, we had not really came and understood how we were going to be clashing. Right. With this is how they did things and this was how we did things, you know. And so we needed to be able to sit and have those conversations and those discussions and bring them to the table and be honest about them. And those were those were that, that was what we were doing, you know, in that time. We were we were on an escalated 
a very intense experience with coming to grips with what we bring to the table. And I'm so thankful we did it with Christ in the center. Now you're talking past it, but the reality is mm -hmm. we're still in it. Absolutely. 22 we're years later. Still learning things yeah. um, about ourselves and what more areas of our lives, our, our journey itself is not complete. Like we're not not talking to you like we're a finished product or well, anything like that. We still have to navigate. The kids can tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Still got a lot of stuff that we are navigating through by the grace of God. Yeah. Even to this. First of all, I have too many. You, can I can I say something about that? Can I say something? Uh, you know, I can't tell you how many times as my wife and I have gone around and talked to young people, and you know they're like, yeah, there's no young people, and we'll look, we'll look around the room, we'll be like, it's like 15 young people right here. They're like, oh man, you know I ain't standing there. I'm like, but you know why? They like, yeah. and it's like my brother, it's like my sister. So I said, let me get this straight. I say, you would rather go out and roll the dice with somebody that you know absolutely nothing about rather than talk to somebody that you've been, you've grown up in the same church with since you was yeah. And they're like, yeah. You know, like, did you hear what you just said? Like, yeah. I'm like, what's making any sense? Why on earth would you? So I'm saying that to say sometimes, you know, it's like the, the, the brother who had a diamond and is I forget the name of the story. It's one of my favorite stories, but I forget the name of it. He had a diamond right in his backyard. And yet he spent the majority of his life looking for diamonds. And he comes back home and it's a doorstop <laughs> sitting right there all the time. So a lot of times we are looking for the you know, the wonderful spiritual person that's there, out there somewhere that God has for me. And sometimes they're literally right here, you know? Nope. So. so this was a really good message. Um, in the book, Nine Character Personality, like the book one, the first page, it said that, you know, like there is a science to Christianity. And I've recently started saying that the devil has a PhD in psychology. 
and knows uh, um, how to manipulate mm -hmm. yeah. and bring different trauma, different issues, and because like sometimes you know like we won't talk about different issues because we just don't want to, and it can be uncomfortable. But this is oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, thank you so much for uh, this message. It's really been a blessing. Um, some a question I have, and hopefully this isn't too difficult to ask, because I know it can be hard to distinguish where to draw the line on the, the topic of we all have baggage that we carry. At what point do you have baggage that you know you need to work on maybe first before you go into a serious But at least I'll give an example. My, my wife had for the first time, I'm like, I'll share this. All right. For the first time, she had divulged that she had been a victim of sexual abuse. She had done it. She was going through a, um, she writes about it in her book. She talks about how she was at uh, the suicide prevention program. And for the first time, she said it out loud. So um, later on, we were talking and, you know, we were talking about getting married and she said, you know, this is something that happened to me. I've not shared it with anyone, but I feel like it's only fair for you to know before you marry me that this is something that I'm dealing with. And I don't even fully understand what all of this means, but the fact that she had acknowledged it and the fact that she was beginning to heal and had given it to Jesus and, and even shared it with me was like, okay, now what do I know about that? I don't know how to deal with this or, but the fact that she was in process, even though it was a beginning process, you know, in my prayer and whatnot, I was, um, you know, I had confidence to move forward. So I would say whatever, whatever it is, no matter how personal, you know, perceptively large or small, we all need to be in process. It doesn't mean that the process will be complete, but at least we need to be engaged in it to a greater or lesser degree. So I'll just give you a, I, I, what he said. And then for me, the other practical aspect of that is, so if they're on crack, don't marry her. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to say, did I say that right? I don't know. Um, what I mean is not that the person who is on crack is not worthy of marriage, okay? But you gotta use some wisdom, right? There are some of us who God has let us know that this person ain't the one, or they not ready, and all the signs are there because we just want what we want. And they, you know, they haven't started no process. They just, the only process they gone through is just telling you that they don't crack. That's not a process, right? Thank you for divulging that to me. But what, what we want is we want people to begin a process of, um, and you hear people talking about these things, right? It, the buzzwords and stuff, but it's been around since biblical times, self-examination, right? And Ecclesiastes talking about, check yourself. Do you know yourself? That's my version, right? It's there. Do you know yourself? And for some people, they, they still haven't reached that point, right? Where they're even ready for that. That doesn't mean that you can never be with them, right? But you have to have wisdom along the process 
and know that they at least should have begun and started something. The other part that protects you there too is accountability. You know, out here just, it, it, I know you haven't think that I'm on people in my business. If anybody tell you that they want to be with you, but they don't want nobody in their business, run away from that person. Can I just be honest about that? Because this is the thing. God created us for community. And the reason why he created us for community saints and ain'ts is because um, he knows that there's some protection there. Amen? There's some protection in community. So there may be some things because I'm so in love that I can't see because love makes you stupid. Can I tell you the truth about that? There's this chemical, right? It makes you, it really is a legit thing. Go look it up. It's a chemical and it just blinds you to stuff to where you don't see their crooked teeth. You don't see that they limping and dragging. Like you just don't see any of it. Your family members are like, don't you see it? Like, no, he just loves me. I love her. And then two years after y'all have been together, it wears off. And you're like, where did this person come from? They've been their way all along. And it is the same way with the character defects too. So also surround yourself with godly people who you trust, who can be honest with you and say, sister, brother, you know, take your time. You know, we, 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 we're watching and we see that some things aren't right here, you know, or they look like they need a little bit more growth. You know what I'm saying? So that's some, that's some way to protect yourself as well. Involve people, you know what I'm saying? in your stuff. Anybody who tell you don't involve nobody, stay away from that person. Don't go there. It's going to make it hard. It's like once you start the process, and man, you can get down to just a carry on or two. It's going to make that journey once you get on the plane that much easier. In the sense, you always have baggage even through your marriage. But the sooner you can work on it, and like you said, acknowledge it and process through it, it will make it that much easier. So, uh, I just like to find out. You said that um, when there are problems in a relationship, you shouldn't pray about it. Is that what you're saying? Are you saying that you shouldn't pray about any relationship that problems in marriage? You're, you're saying that you shouldn't pray about them? No. No. You shouldn't pray about them or what should you do? Because some people just ask the Lord to take them away. But yes. what's, what's the... Yeah, I think the point the point that we were trying to make if I understand and the second and the second question is then is the church a safe place to to heal a relationship or to, to maintain a relationship? Is the church a good place? Is the church a good place to, to maintain a relationship? Yes. Okay. So the first question was, you know, are we saying that we shouldn't pray? Because some people some people will say uh, or that's all they do is pray, but they don't engage in any any other things. I don't, I don't think we're saying you shouldn't pray. Uh, you should certainly, you should certainly pray. Um, but you know, like it's like Peter said, add to your faith virtue and so forth. So I would say that we need to add to our prayers that which will help us in the area of healing. When I when I use the term healing. I use that because a lot of people are more, they're more comfortable with that. But I'm actually talking about a sanctification process. And the sanctification process is, in fact, the healing process. And it's a lifelong process, right? Um, it doesn't, you, you're not, you are healed like that. But 
being healed from the residual effects of the wounding of sin in the nature or in experience is the work of a lifetime. So pray, but with our prayers, we need to add actions and things that we that we can do. The second question was, um, is the church a safe place? And I will say, no, not everyone. Unfortunately, not everyone is. Now, ideally, it should be. Ideally, it should be. Um, I had the opportunity to go to Brazil a couple of years ago, and I was talking to a young lady there, and she was she was sharing how she had a, a group of young people at a secular university, and she wanted to introduce them to community. And she took them to an AA meeting. Now, these were a majority of non-Christian, non-believers. They came back from the AA meeting and they were having a debriefing. And in their debriefing, some of these atheistic, agnostic, non-Christian individuals broke down and began to cry. And you know what they said? They said, we have never seen such authenticity and openness and acceptance where people could share the way that they did without any judgment. Now, here's what I believe. I believe that that should be the experience of people who come to our churches, that people should be able to find in the Christian community that acceptance, non-judgmental, loving, you know, warm, Christ-like embrace in all of our churches. Now, the reason I said, you know, what I said is, is that true of every church? I'm going to tell you, at one of my churches, my former churches, I had one of, one of my members in Sabbath school class said, people come to church any type of way. Turned around, pointed out a gentleman in the back. Said like him, he wouldn't even go to church like he wouldn't even go to court like that. He would come in a suit and tie. He got on jeans and a t-shirt. How are you gonna come before God like that? Blah blah. This was a this brother was a visitor, first time in the church. He went, "This is my church." I just happened not to be there that Sabbath. Maybe that was why I happened. I don't know. But brother raised his hand. You know what he said? He said, "I just got out of jail two days ago." The clothes I have on my back are the only things that I have. So, so is, is the church a safe place? It should be. And I believe that's what God's ideal is for the church. Is every church a safe place? I would have to say, you know, I don't think so. I don't know about, you know, your churches. My hope and my prayer is that your churches are those the safe places where people can find healing? And they are also safe places to have relationships. I'm going to assume that the other part of that is, the other part of that question perhaps is, you know, if I see someone who, you know, I value and see potential in, in a church context, is it safe for me to be able to pursue that individual in the church? without, you know, that pursuit becoming, 
the subject of gossip or you know this or that or the other. And and I just want to I just want to share um, two principles about that type of safety. And the first one is the first one is for the fellas for the young men. I'm gonna say this, and my wife mentioned it earlier. Um, accountability, wise counsel, accountability and wise counsel, because if you have pursued five young ladies in church, you're looking kind of shady. If you pursue five young ladies in church and your intentions, listen, listen, your intentions were good, but Think about this. The Bible says, don't let your good be evil spoken of. You know, shun the appearance of evil. It might be time for you to pursue somebody at another church if you pursue five women in the same church. I'm, I'm only saying that because it, is it safe? And oftentimes it is not safe for your reputation if you carry it on in that way. So there is wisdom, there's accountability, pastors, elders, you know, you can talk to some folks and say, hey, you know, I'm interested in this, but have some people go between. That way you don't look like you're chasing everyone who comes in the church, all right? So it can be a safe place, but you have to take advantage of the blessing of those who are wiser than you. Allow them to stand in the gap for you. To give you guidance. That way you, you're not out here looking crazy. So it can be a safe place. Uh, first thing you guys are coming up here. And it's a pleasure. Um, I was wondering if you guys have a tool tools for when, like, let's say, um, maybe one of you or both of you had like a very bad day or something. And then what what is a tool that you guys use? to not end up like hurting each other you know what i'm saying like what do you do to not end up like getting all that the bad day and just throw it in on the other person like i'll wear hard no what i'll say to you is it has been refreshing over the years to grow in this area because now we have the ability to be honest with, with each other and just tell the truth. It's not a good day. No, no, like, listen, honestly, you can tell the truth. Like, we love each other, right? This is my friend, right? So we can be honest. All days are not great, you know? And so if you come home, first of all, you need to be self-aware. You need to be self-aware. You know what your day has been like. And not just with him, but with your children, too. You need to be able to do the same thing because we can take it out on him. I can take it out on them and vice versa. You need to be able to be self-aware enough to say before you walk into that house. Let them know, man, I need moments to kind of just get my thoughts and get my mind together because I had a rough day. And and we're just not, you, you know, in our society, you know what I'm saying? Like we just have become so, um, we, we, we have to become more comfortable with that and I'm not and even with each other right like everything is not sunshine and roses you know what I'm saying like people <laughs> you know people assume that you have to do that yeah. there's two there's two other things that you talk about tools 
One of them that that we use is a as a core fear yeah. test. Another one is an emotion wheel, yeah. and I'll just touch on the emotion wheel. The the emotion wheel. Uh, she's going to talk about that tomorrow for Sabbath school. But the emotion wheel is important because a lot of times the problem is not our frustration. The problem is we don't know. I'm not going to say, yeah, sometimes we don't know how to articulate what it is that we're actually feeling. And so I'm I'm feeling some kind of way, but it's like, what is it? It's like, we don't really know. So the emotion wheel helps to be able to articulate. And another thing is we don't do well with articulating vulnerability. We don't do well with articulating vulnerability. In other words, it's not... For instance, most most men, and this I know this uh, oversimplification, generalization, whatever. But most men, you are not going to hear men saying something like, "Man, you know, I was really I was belittled, and I was made to feel like I was about this big, and it really it hurt me to my core that I was so invalidated when I was in such and such a position." Most time, we're not going to communicate that. That's an articulation of vulnerability. What you will hear is, man, this stupid person at work came and they said, that's not this. Right. That's what's coming out. But really, what happened is, right, I'm because of the way that I was because of the way that I was addressed or because of the way my idea was treated. And so that pushed something that caused me to feel invalidated and Blah, 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 this, this, that, and the other. But if I'm not able to articulate that, then I'm speaking on a frustration level up here instead of really speaking from the heart level and saying, hey, this is how I feel. So when I come home and I come with that type of heat, you know, sometimes that can be misinterpreted as, what did I do? Why are you mad at me? You know, so um, the emotion will helping to be able to it's a tool to help to be able to communicate vulnerability instead of anger and frustration. And a core fear test helps you to be able to identify what some of the core fears are that may have been, you know, agitated that have caused you to respond in way X, Y, or Z. And it's good for parents too. We start, you're learning to start younger, right? If we can, let's start younger with teaching children to be vulnerable with their emotions and be able to identify them. And I had to I had to break a generational cycle in my family. I grew up in a home where the you know communication that we had in our house wasn't Christian. Okay. People cursed you out and when they got mad and they were angry and they did all that type of stuff. And so actually brought that with me. Even though again I loved the Lord. But man, when I found myself having these buttons pushed, I would feel myself becoming like my mom or my dad in a certain way. And I'm like, I don't want to raise my children like that. So I had to learn myself an emotional vocabulary and thus try to teach them also, you know. Uh, before she says something, just on that point, you've made a number of points here about, um, about speaking from the heart or the emotions from the heart and how we speak to each other. And we know from the Bible that out of the mouth, I mean, out of the abundance of the house, of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm -hmm. um, and I have found myself it's really hard to work on the heart. It's a lot easier to work on the words. But when you change your words, you do change your heart. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I like this discussion tonight. And, um, you know, like sometimes as a Christian, just like we said before, like we have different issues, different issues that affect us, real life issues. And uh, sometimes um, people do mean things um, with good intentions. But sometimes, like, if they're not experiencing what someone is going through, it can be difficult to know what to say to that person. And um, sometimes I can, you know, like, if you're going through an issue and somebody's like, oh, just pray about it, it can feel very irritating. And also, like, it's easy to forgive somebody who is repentant, who is nice, but it's hard to forgive, just like what you said, like culturally, certain things are just a norm. And when you don't fit that norm, you're challenging that norm. And if you're challenging it, then you're going to bear the blunt of everything and they're not afraid to attack you. And it can be hard to walk in forgiveness in just being real <laughs> you know because it, it can be hard and then I realized like forgiveness sometimes it's a journey it's a journey to forgiving letting go healing I appreciate that so much you sharing that because it's so true tomorrow I'm going to be doing something with you guys called the C3 challenge and it is um it's a powerful exercise that I actually developed after the pandemic. I don't know what things have been like for you guys here, but from where we're from, um, trying to get back into life was a challenge. It was very difficult bringing people back from all of the stuff that went down. And when I say stuff went down, I don't know about again. I don't know if that bridge protected y'all from stuff, but it went down, right? Um, in our churches even. And when you have people going through such traumatic bring them back together. We had a lot to work through and people didn't know how, right? And what the C3 challenge does is it addresses it addresses all the things you brought up. It addresses um, the emotional baggage. It addresses the reality of what is forgiveness. We're going to talk about that tomorrow um, because I think we have some misunderstandings about that, even in our Christian culture. Um, and we're also going to talk about um, being able to figure out how to process through our emotions, you know, because um, I work with people on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I'm a grief recovery specialist. And so one of the things that I do is I help people process through change because change is inevitable. There is not one person on the planet who will not experience it. But though all of us will experience it, 96% of the people that I work with, no one has ever sat down with them and had a comprehensive discussion about how to process change. We are taught how to get things, but we're not taught how to lose them. We are taught how to aspire to certain things, but we're not taught how to process through when we don't get the things that we thought we should have had or wanted. And so even within our, our, our Christian context, I think it is a good discussion to have. And it actually promotes healing. And my hope is that when you all go through it, you'll be left with a tool here to be, because it's going to happen. You're going to have people walk into your midst who are broken, who are, who are grieving. And I'm sorry, just pray about it is not enough. I am a person who believes in prayer, right? Prayer has gotten me through so many things, but prayer, God, we did not leave, God did not leave us just with prayer alone. He left us with practical, tangible things that we can do, right? 
in order to work through the process of healing. So y'all better be there tomorrow. <laughs> That's going to be Sabbath school. All right. Sabbath school is 930 in the sanctuary. And we'll have... Jesus, I know it's going to be early. Come on, sanctuary. Do it. And we will have breakfast. There'll be breakfast here. Oh, see? We'll have breakfast here at 8.30. Okay. And then Sabbath school at 9.30 in the sanctuary. All right. And don't be falling asleep on me neither after you eat. Okay. <laughs> Any other questions? If you like, try. I'm going to pray about it. Oh, that's the deal breaker right there. So popcorn. Is there anything practical to help us to be more vulnerable? What's what's that? What thing? We got it. Tell me. And for those who will be here tomorrow morning, you see now. What's that? He's, he, okay, it's now we're we're told it'll be recorded. It'll be recorded. It, it'll be on YouTube. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you guys again for coming tonight. This has been wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, can I pray with you all, please? Please, please. So let's pray together. We can stand. I guess we can stand. You can. <laughs> all right, let's let's pray together. Loving Father and our God, uh, thank you for an opportunity to spend some time together, like we have tonight. Lord, you know that there is literally so much more that can be said. I pray that something that has been said tonight might uh, be a, that germinates in the heart and mind of those who have been together in this place. And I pray that it would bear fruit to your name's honor and glory. I pray that someone who has been in our midst tonight would begin a process of healing. I pray that someone who's been in our midst tonight might have the experience of opening their baggage right there, you, and processing through some of the most difficult challenges in their lives. I pray, dear Father, that someone might have victory at the root level and their experiences tonight. I pray, Father, that someone might choose to embrace the way of wisdom and accountability instead of trying to go at it all by himself or herself. And I pray ultimately that each one of us would have a renewed confidence in your ability to lead us and guide us and not only to lead us and guide us, but to bring us into experiences of fulfillment and satisfaction that 
that also honor you. I lift up each and every one of these precious souls that are in this place tonight. I trust them into your trip. And I also place my wife, myself, my family in your care as well. I pray that your will be done in each and every one of our lives. Keep us this night and may the things we've talked about resonate in our hearts, even as we sleep. 